0: Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything behind, he got up and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were at table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to them in reply, Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. So our Lord's walking along and he sees this tax collector sitting at the customs post where he spends his time probably skimming off the top and being a sinner. And he says to him, follow me. And he says to him, follow me. And then as the gospel, according to Luke, says, he just like gets up and leaves everything behind and follows him. Just like, okay, no problem. Surely interiorly there's something else going on. No, interiorly there's something else going on. As Levi's sitting there, probably listening to Jesus' preaching from a distance, watching people go to Jesus, watching people be healed by Jesus. Thinking to himself, wow, I wish I could be one of those people, but I've got all this money. I can't leave my money to go be one of those people. And there's this kind of back and forth inside of him Should I go? Should I not go? Do I really want to give this up? Do I not? I kind of want to do that, but... And so our Lord, looking upon him, sees this tension in him and goes up to him where he is, and he says, follow me. It's okay. You can leave all of that. It's okay. In fact, I'm going to enter into your world and I'm going to bring you with me. And then he's able to leave everything behind and go. And somewhere in that, following him, this light bulb goes off in Levi's head and he thinks to himself, wow, if he could enter into my life, he could probably enter into my friend's life. And so he throws this big party and he invites Jesus and all of his friends are there, all of these prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and... And our Lord goes and enters into their lives too. You know, it's how the gospel works. It's an amazing way that the gospel works. You know, I saw that happen in the life of just this 17-year-old kid who came to see me because his grandma made him. Grandma's worried about grandson. She's getting in trouble all the time. She doesn't know what to do. And then it came to her that I was supposed to be her grandson's spiritual director. So she calls me up. Father, Jesus told me you're supposed to be my grandson's spiritual director. Okay, I guess I better do it. So so he comes into my office and he doesn't want to be there. And I'm just like, you don't want to be here, do you? I don't care. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Staring at me like down the bill of his hat. So we just talked about anything. We just talked about his life. We talked about how he was getting along in school. We talked about, you know, how he's getting along with grandma. Maybe after two or three months of this talking, it might have even been longer. I said, you know, Jesus loves you, right? Yeah, he loves everybody. Hmm. Now you know Jesus loves you. Yeah, he loves everybody. Like, as if to say, like, Jesus loves everybody. And I know that because I've learned that Jesus loves everybody. And he only loves me because I just happen to be part of the everybody. Like, he loves me because he has to. He loves me because he has to. He loves me because it's his job. No, you know, and there's a lot of times when we can feel like that, when we can feel like, well, yeah, I know God loves me, but he kind of has to love me. It's not like he chose to love me. And if he had a choice about it, he wouldn't love me, but he kind of has to because he's God and everything. Young people today especially feel that way. Which makes all of our vocations more difficult. When young people feel like, you know, father, you care about me because you have to, it's your job. Or my mom has to love me because she's my mom. It doesn't really count. It's like when I go to my therapist and she's like, do you believe I care about your life? I pay you a hundred bucks to care about my life. <laughs> of course you care about my life. And if you seemed like you didn't care, I wouldn't come back. And so like, you keep seeming like you care. You know, we can feel that way about our Lord. But anyway, so then I, I returned to this kid, and I was like, no, he loves you. He loved you when your dad left when you were three. He loved you when your mom's second boyfriend left when you were 11, the one you thought was going to marry her and you were hoping would stick around. He loved you when you were doing drugs when you were a ninth grader. He loved you when you got in a fight at school last week, and he loved you when you threw a fit and yelled at your grandma this morning. He loves you. And then he just kind of like, Got all nervous and ran out of my office. A couple months later, he's on my calendar. He's having one of those, like, you know, bad days that we have sometimes, you know. Like, do you ever have a day when you're, like, didn't really want to be a mom that day? Just curious, you know. You don't have to admit it. And you're, like, seriously, vomit? Today? So I was having one of those days. And, uh, and I saw him on my calendar and I was kind of like, oh, I got to go meet with him. And I get up to the office and there's him and grandma and two other knuckleheads sitting there. I'm thinking to myself, like, what'd they do? Start a drug ring? What's going on? <laughs> so he brings an extra chair in the office. He's like, father, I went to mass last week and I went to confession and I'm going to mass next week. And these are my friends and they want to talk to you. Talk. right? You could ask him anything. What happened? He started to believe what had been told to him over and over and over and over and over again. And then he wanted to go tell his friends about it. That's what happens with Levi in today's gospel. He starts to, he realizes that our Lord is there for him too. And then he wants to tell his friends about it. And our Lord goes and he enters into those lives. It's an amazing thing. And it started with our Lord entering into the life of a sinner. It started with our Lord entering into the life of a sinner. And then, of course, our Lord is criticized for loving sinners. Why do you eat and drink with those sinners? And somehow in our own minds, sometimes we get this idea like, well, we can't really love sinners. We can tell sinners we love them, but we can't really love them because if we really showed them that we love them, they would think that we're somehow affirming them in their sin, and they need to know that they're sinning. And our fear of causing scandal or something like that gets in the way of proclaiming the gospel. It gets in the way of showing love. You know, our fear of affirming somebody in their sinfulness keeps us from entering into that space. But that's exactly what our Lord does. And his presence there is what transforms the lives of the people that he goes to. And the same thing happens in our own interior lives, you know, because we all kind of experience the dynamism of the Tower of Babel in our own lives. You know, the Tower of Babel is this, like, consequence of sin. People became prideful, and so our Lord confused their language. And so they couldn't communicate with each other. There's, like, this split in the people. And because of sin in our own lives, there's this split in us sometimes. So we can be that person that, you know, goes to daily mass and prays the rosary and does all those things. And then we're also this person who is very impatient with our children. And we're, like, you know, kind of backbiting with our friends. And, you know, we might, like, affirm somebody on Facebook and then talk behind their back, you know, in our other friend circle. Like, we have, like, these two people. We're the person who wants to be attached to our Lord but then when we're really hurting, when we're really stressed out, when we're feeling really lonely, we take refuge in ice cream. Or we take refuge in television or we take refuge in other forms of sinfulness. You know, Until we're like a holy saint, we all kind of take refuge in something else. And so we can be like these two people. And so the question is, like, who does our Lord want to go to dinner with? Like, who does our Lord want to go to dinner with? Are we willing to invite our Lord to dinner with, like, the sinful part of me? Going back to, like, would Jesus rather go to dinner with you or college you? In the Gospels, he goes to dinner with college you. And what happens is you become one person. And where do we do that most profoundly? We do that sacramentally when we go to the sacrament of reconciliation. When we go to the sacrament of reconciliation, it is this moment of mercy. It is this moment in which we're sitting there like Levi and we know we have all this sin in our life, and we kind of let it all out and we say, This is who I am. And then we hear our Lord say, Come follow me. Like, Come follow me anyways. You know, I've done this, I've done this, I'm attached to this. I I'm I'm like stuck in resentments. I'm stuck in the prison of unforgiveness. This is where I am. And Jesus says, I love you anyways. If you want me to love you, I'll love you. And when we hear those words. And the person, Jesus, the person enters into our life in order to transform it. It's what it is to make a really good confession. And we have the stories of the lives of the saints who... Have this like incredible conversions that happen in confession, or the saints that facilitated conversion through confession, like Saint Padre Pio or Saint John Vianney. People would wait for like eighteen hours to go to confession to them. They travel hours to go to confession to them. Yet, many of us, we you know, that same grace can be available to us if we treat confession the same way as those people. But I guarantee you that they weren't waiting 18 hours for k three hail marys to make an act of contrition. You know those confessions were probably longer. They were probably longer. They probably involved this is everything about my life. They probably involved like being more specific about their sins. And they had the faith that our Lord is speaking through this person. And we can have that same faith today. That our Lord is speaking through this person. You know, going to the sacrament of reconciliation, it's like entering into this banquet that Levi throws. And letting our Lord into that part of our life. Because what we find out there is that our Lord loves us. Even though we've done all of these things, we find out our Lord loves us. And that is the remedy to shame. It's the remedy to shame. And we need to hear another person say, I love you anyways. We all need to hear that. When we talk about inviting our Lord into those wounds, it's not like about, you know, entering into this ugly place that we don't like to think about. It's actually like, uh, oh, shoo, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay that this is, it's, it's okay. Instead of having anxiety that somebody's going to find out, like, phew, our Lord knows this about me and he still loves me and he still called me to be his disciple. You know, my own family dynamic is really, it's not like a perfect family, you know, much like Sister Miriam's. I don't come from a perfect family. Mom and dad were both married before they married each other. They both had children. They both were divorced. Mom and dad married each other. I was born. Mom died. Dad remarried, had more children. Then they got divorced when I was in college both of my parents were from alcoholic family systems and we had those alcoholic family system kind of rules like don't tell anybody your problems. We need to present a good facade for everybody. You know, what's, what happens in the family stays in the family. Don't tell anybody and you know, you just try to put on a good show and like that worked for me until I was about 37 and then things started to break down and that was part of the story of like why I ended up having to go to therapy and, and uh, And one of the gifts, right, after after the if you want me to love you, I'll love you incident, I ended up learning a lot about 12-step fellowships. And I started going to Al-Anon meetings, which are meetings for family members of alcoholics. And, uh, And I'd always had this experience of trying to share that part of my life that I was kind of like had a lot of shame around and trying to share those things, you know, that go on in my heart. And I remember sitting around with a bunch of brother priests and talking about my family dynamic and saying something like, yeah, you know, like my my relationship with my stepmom is kind of like when her like number shows up on caller ID, I feel like all the energy gets sucked out of my body. And I remember my brother priest saying, I can't believe that you would say that about your mom. She really loved you. Don't you know the fourth commandment? Shame. Okay, it's not okay to say this. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And then I go to my fir- like my third Al Anon meeting. I walk in, and it's me and thirty ladies. Just me and thirty ladies. We're all sharing, and I share that story. So uh, sometimes, and I'm really nervous about sharing. You know, like sometimes. Sometimes when my mom calls, I don't know what's going on, but it feels like all the energy gets sucked out of my body as soon as I see her name and colour ID. And everybody just laughed, like this familiar laugh, like, oh, yeah, I've been there. And I was like, oh, these are my people. (laughs) And it was freeing, right? It was freeing because it was as if to say, like, it's okay. And we still love you. Even though that's going on in your life, we still love you. And our Lord spoke to me through them in that. You know, our Lord spoke to me in that, through that. And started to heal all of that kind of stuff. You know, That's what confession really should be like when we go to sacramental reconciliation. Like, this is all the junk in my life. Tch, I love you anyways. Huh. This is my person. No, Jesus is my person. Surely that's what Levi experienced when our Lord called him, Jesus is my person. And all of these people that showed up at that banquet, Jesus is my person, and they became his disciples. And then this tax collector who wasn't sure that he was worthy to leave behind all his money and go do all of that stuff wrote the first gospel. According to Matthew. Our Lord does amazing things. Even though he had done all of that stuff, he became the first gospel writer. Right? It's what he wants to do in our own hearts. And this afternoon, there will be, there'll be several times during the rest of the day for everyone to make a good confession. Right? There will be two priests here besides me in that one to three time slot. There will also be a time of Eucharistic Adoration this afternoon. And, and just time to like unload all of those things that are obstacles to receiving our Lord's love and obstacles to identity and and just pray that you take the advantage and the time and be mindful of the fact that our Lord wants to enter into that part of your life and transform it. Right, If you want him to love you, he'll love you. And so we pray for the courage and the strength and the grace to make a really good confession today, one that transforms our life and restores us in our identity as his beloved children.